All right, welcome to the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. We have a great, great guest here today. I'm excited, uh, guy my age. So this is my era of hockey. Andrew's going to pop in on here. We're recording on a Sunday, so not in our normal studio. So Andrew will pop in when he can. So introduction, here we go. We're excited to announce our special guest today, Dave Emma. Dave played competitive hockey beginning as a team with Bishop Hendrick High in Rhode Island. And after graduating, committed to BC, Boston College. Dave went on to suit up for Boston College for four years, was captain of the team in 1990-91, and went on to be drafted in the sixth round of the 89 NHL draft by the New Jersey Devils. After four years at BC, he turned pro, immediately jumped to the American Hockey League, and suited up for the Utica Devils for his first pro career. It didn't take long until Dave got his first piece of NHL action during the following season in 92-93, suiting up for the Devils for a pair of games. Dave went on and continued playing in the AHL and NHL, suiting up for the New Jersey Devils and eventually our favorite team, the Boston Bruins, until 1997. Dave took his talent overseas and made his final North American revenge tour, Andrew's words, during the 2000-2001 season where he grinded through the NHL once again and got another shot playing some games with the Florida Panthers. This is a long intro, but it's certainly uh, a, a great, great career. We're also going to talk a little bit of some uh, 92 Olympics, but please welcome Rhode Island Sports Hall of Famer, Dave Emma. Dave, welcome. Well, thank you, and thank you for having me. Andrew, you on board? Yes. Can you guys hear me okay? We can. You're on. All right, hey, so we're live, man. Andrew, why don't you take the first question? Yeah, so Dave, thanks for joining us today. And sorry, I'm a little late trying to get this computer working, but I did want to take it back from the beginning, um, playing in your high school days, and then later you committed to Boston College. So I got to say, we've obviously had our fair share of Rhode Island hockey boys on here, but uh, you know, one of them being our favorites is Dave Capuano. So kind of give a shout out to Rhode Island hockey, man. There's some good talent that's came out of there the past few years, or you know, past 20, 30 years, right? Yeah, we have. We've been, you know, obviously during our era, Dave Capuano, the Chris Terrarys of the world, Robbie Goudreau, Steve King. I mean, during that era, we had a tremendous amount of uh, talent. Obviously, Brian Lawton was also before me. So, a um, number of incredible tradition in hockey and a, a ton of talent that went on to have pretty successful careers, not only at the collegiate level, but also at the NHL level. And so, uh, quick question. So, I'm sure you had plenty of collegiate options, and uh, you obviously chose Boston College. So, what was the reason for you choosing Boston College, and was there another school that maybe you almost committed to or that you had to choose between? Yeah, I mean, I was very blessed. I had a ton of, ton of offers and um, was recruited uh, by a lot of schools around the country. And to be honest with you, um, I was very close to going to Wisconsin. I mean, that was that was kind of where I was I was headed, and then – I really wanted my dad to be able to see me play on a regular basis. And even though he was encouraging me to make whatever decision I thought was best and not only for, uh, you know, for myself and my hockey career, um, but that was a big reason. And BC, number one, it was an incredible school. So I was always encouraged to obviously have a fallback if things didn't work out with me, uh, if I had an injury or whatever happened at the, at the, at the my you know during my hockey career whether it's the collegiate level or professional level so bc being an incredible hockey school as well as a great academic school 
Um, it just, uh, and plus the opportunity for my dad to watch me on a regular basis for all the reasons that I ended up choosing Boston College over all the other um, opportunities. Dave, um, <clears throat> your, your generation of hockey players, uh, it almost seemed like a bunch would go the collegiate route like you. Some uh, skipped that and tried to grind it out uh, in, the, in the juniors. What yeah. uh, made you decide to do the collegiate route rather than trying to go juniors and get drafted in the NHL? I, I, you know what, I think a lot of it has to do with, with my parents. I mean, my, you know, I think a lot had to do with just making sure I got an education. I mean, that was a big, big thing in, in our family was to always, always know that hockey, no matter how far you take it and how, how long you play, uh, it's a game that you can't play forever. So I think that was a, a big part of it was making sure that I had a, a great academic career as well as a hockey career. And when hockey was uh, the time when it, when it was time to call it quits, I'd have something to fall back on. Oh, Andrew is, is, is muted. So I'll take the next question. So Dave, what was it like uh, playing for BC during that time? Uh, what was the bean pot tournament like for you? Yeah. Uh, I mean, and the and the culture of BC at the time. I mean, what a time to play for BC. Yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, it was you know again, I was you know unfortunately and fortunately, I guess you'd say, you know, I came into Boston College in 1987. So at that time, we had lost a number of incredible players to the 88 Olympic team: Brian Leach, Craig Janey, Kevin Stevens. Some of the guys were graduating. Some of the guys left school early, like like Leachy and Greg Brown and. So for a guy like myself, we, you know, number one, there was a tremendous amount of pressure uh, to come into a school that has just an incredible amount of hockey tradition. But also I got the opportunity of a lifetime. I come into a, uh, you know, freshman year, there were 10 guys in my, in our freshman class. Um, they were building the new Conti format at the time. We were, we were playing the whole year on the road, Harvard, Northeastern, BU was our home arena. But it was just an opportunity to really, I think, bring my talents to Boston College, prove that I could play at that level because, again, my size was always uh, some, I guess the, the critics would say, you know, that I wasn't going to make it at the college level. I wasn't going to make it at the Olympic level or the pro level. And I never believed that. I always knew that I had the talent to, to play at a high level. So Boston College gave me an incredible opportunity right from the start to, to prove myself and, and then have an opportunity to obviously go on to have a very good college career. Yeah, you, cer yeah, you certainly did. So, Dave, what was it like then uh, for uh, making an adjustment from high school, playing at a good high school program, but going into BC, such a high-powered team, your freshman, sophomore year, what are some of the transitions that you had, or adjustments, I should say, you had to make to really bring that, uh, you know, high-level Division One hockey? Well, I, I think, you know, again, even um, not the collegiate level, is it's just uh, it's an incredibly high level hockey and I think one of the things is the opportunity you, you know you never take a day for granted it's just putting in the work day in and day out on and off the ice um, and that's that's something I always took a lot of pride in the speed of the game the you know obviously the power the power game at Boston College I mean and, and even hockey east I mean you know during our era the four years hockey east was the was the the, the premier division in, in college hockey, there was so much, we had an incredible rivalry with BU, with guys like Tony Amati and Keith Kachuk. And, um, and then you take UNH, had an incredible team as well. University of Maine with Capuano boys. Um, 
obviously Johnny Gruar, Scott Pellerin. I mean, the list goes on and on. Bart Snow was there at that time. So just an incredible amount of talent and, uh, and something that I know myself, I never took it for granted. Every year was about, about improving my craft and being the best that I could be. And, and, you know, like I said, I was blessed to get an opportunity at BC to play, get a lot of minutes um, in my freshman year and obviously end up, you know, on the all freshman team and things like that. And then the next, you know, you go home that summer and you just want to continue to, to get better. And, and I always had my eyes set on the um, it just never took a day for granted. Yeah, and so uh, it didn't take you long to obviously impress. And after uh, your first season with BC, you went on to be drafted by the New Jersey Devils in the sixth round in 1989. We just like to ask all of our guests this. Do you have a cool, funny draft story at all? How did you find out when you were drafted? Um, I have a lot of funny drafts. You know, it's funny, like, my, during my drafts, you know, again, I was, you know, I was, when I was eligible to be drafted at 18, right out of high school, um, I was, I remember that day I sat home because I was, you know, supposedly going to be in the top three rounds. And, and then I basically sat at home the whole time and never got the call. So it was an incredibly disappointing time in my life when, when that all happened. And then, then, it, then I went out to, to BC and I ended up having a very good freshman year and playing well. And then, you know, again, there was another year where I potentially could have been drafted and was overlooked. And, and it was a lot had to do with my size, I guess, is what, is what, what the question mark was so the year that I actually was drafted to be totally honest with you guys I was actually praying that I wasn't going to be drafted wanted, <laughs> you know I wanted to be a free agent I didn't stay home at all I was out playing golf with, a, with some buddies I was just learning to play golf at that time and hanging out I wasn't you know I was sort of just hoping and praying a little bit that that I would get overlooked again just to be uh eligible to be a free agent and <laughs> um, have opportunity, but again, the Devils made the call, and I'm not gonna, uh, you know, it was still an exciting time in my life. But I guess um, it wasn't your typical draft year uh, because of some of the things that you I experienced in the past. Yeah, and so your final year with BC two uh, went on to be your best season yet, and I implore everyone to at least go to his elite prospects page and check out all those achievements from uh, your final year from 1990 to 91. I mean, you were a first All American team, Player of the Year award, All Academic team, Hobie Baker winner. I mean, the list goes on, Dave. And also the year before that, you guys won the national championship. So those last two years, you really capped it off your collegiate career. So at this time, I mean, are you feeling good about yourself? You think you have a chance? at the NHL what's now going through your mind because at this point you're, you're a rising star yeah I mean I was I mean what was going through my mind is that I was obviously uh continuing to just uh number one the number one priority for me coming out of BC was to make the Olympic team if you remember in 91 uh it was still the 1992 Olympic team was was where I where I, I had my sights that was a big reason why I went back to Boston College and finished my fourth year. Number one, I had the, you know, the Devils wanted to sign me after my junior year. I chose not to sign because I really wanted to be in the Olympics and uh, in 92 when it was in kind of all amateur. Again, it was still, so I couldn't sign a pro contract. Otherwise, I would have been in a, ineligible to the Olympic team. Um, so that was the big reason I went back. Um, obviously went on to have, uh, you know, win the Hobie, which was an incredible uh, time of my life. It was probably, you know, again, getting that call uh, something I worked extremely hard for throughout four years and no doubt about it. I mean, I, you know, the, the goal was being an Olympian uh, and then hopefully go on to have a tremendous professional career and get a great opportunity with the Devils. So Dave, two questions uh, from me 
and I guess we'll take them separately. So you mentioned the um, uh, the Olympic. Olympics are right now. Uh, Team USA obviously didn't. Uh, I, I thought they played well in the preliminary rounds, but obviously they didn't make it through to the medal. Uh, what was your Olympic experience? And take it just from making the team and then the actual being in the Olympic Village and the whole experience of representing the United States of America. A big freaking deal. Well, I, I appreciate that. It, um, I, I will tell you, the people ask me all the time, what did you, what was the highlight of your career? Was it winning the whole beat? Was it being a professional? Was it, you know, was it the Olympics? I will tell you, hands down, it was it was being an Olympian. There is nothing more special to wear the American flag on your on your chest. And um, opening ceremonies was um, probably the greatest highlight of my life because you have an opportunity to be there with athletes from all over the world that have worked, you know, countless hours, years and years to to get there and to to be part of that ceremony. Um, so I'll never forget walking and, and, you know, obviously walking with, again, you know, the Olympics, you have, you have all the same attire when you, when you represent the United States, we have the, the same attire, like other, you know, other Can Canadians have their attire, just like the Czechs and the Russians. So it's just an incredible experience. And the other thing that was super cool about the Olympics is that every, you know, you know, every fan, hat, especially hockey fan, has a favorite team, whether it's the Boston Bruins, the Florida Panthers, Toronto Maple Leafs, um, but when you're an Olympian, there is there everybody is rooting for you. So we would get, and when I tell you hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of letters a day, whether it was someone in Idaho or Nebraska, um, Oklahoma, you name it, we would get these letters and people would just, and we'd hang them in our locker room uh, just to know how much people were rooting for us. So, and again, then we went on to have an incredible Olympics. It was disappointing, you know, we were undefeated in the preliminary round, um, which is unheard of and then all of a sudden we end up you know the crossover we end up playing Russia who finished fourth in their division which has never happens as you know Russia's always the number one team in their division so a little bit of I guess a little unlucky in that regard and then we lose to Russia in the, in the medal round and, and then ended up losing to the Czechs for, for a bronze medal but it was a it was an incredible run with the Olympic team and uh, a great experience a lot of hard work. I mean, our team, you know, I, the only thing I would, you know, I don't know, a lot of people don't know this about our Olympic team, but Herb Brooks wanted to coach our team. So he had put in and said, the only team that I want to come back and coach from the 1980 Miracle on Ice was the 1992 team. And I think it was because of the amount of talent that we had. Um, again, I named some of the guys, Tony Amante, Keith Kachuk, you know, Steve Hines, Marty McGinnis. I mean, these are guys that we all went on to, uh, we all went on to have Teddy Donato, pretty good career. So I know Herb really, really wanted that team. And for whatever reason, the Olympic team uh, gave it to uh, Dave Peterson, God rest his soul. But um, I would have been an incredible, I think it would have been awesome if we had Herb coaching our team we were able to, I guess, have the Olympic year leading up to the Olympics be, be done exactly like the 1980 Marathon Ice Team. What's a uh, quick question. Uh, what, what is your feelings on now that the Olympics have gone back to amateur players? Good thing, bad thing? I love it. I, I never really loved the dream team, to be honest with you, just because I guess maybe it was, maybe it's personal. I mean, I had, I knew from the time I was 11 years old when the 80 Olympics team won the gold medal, I knew exactly where I was. The tournament I was playing in was the Ocean State Classic in Rhode Island, one of the biggest youth hockey tournaments, kind of like the Silver Sticks in Michigan. And so, I, I think there's something missed 
for a guy like myself, who was an 11 year old young kid that just had this dream of being Olympian, represent his country. And when you go dream team, that those sort of opportunities go away. So I'm, I, I'm more biased to keep it in an, at an amateur status, but I understand why, you know, of course, U.S. and now with, I guess now with every country really has always had their pro guys playing in the Olympics. I can understand why the U.S. decided to kind of make the switch. So my, my last question, Andrew, I'll let you have a few. Boston College National Championship. What do you remember about the last game, winning the championship, what, what, what's a memory that's just seared into your brain? Any experience? Well, well, I'll correct you on one thing. We did not win the championship. We lost to Wisconsin in the semifinals, uh, three to two, and we outshot them like 55 to like 20. So what, what's in my mind is complete disappointment because uh, <laughs> I hit the post like seven times that day. So uh, I'll never, I, I remember that game like it was yesterday and uh, I felt like the ice was tilted, you know, tilted to one side and we just dominated the game, but sort of never got over the hump. And, and then Wisconsin went on to beat Cornell in the finals, uh, which, and they, they beat them like 6-1 or 6-2. So it was, I felt like our semifinal game at Joe Luce Arena was truly the national championship game. Um, but for us, it was uh, a bit of, a bit of disappointment. I, and I've said it all along for me, I would, Give up, give up the whole beach that won a national championship at Boston College. But um, you know the way hockey is. It's uh, sometimes it, it's a game of in, inches. It's a margin of error. And for us, uh, as good as we were, we came up a little short. Yeah. Well, so following, I'm sorry for being the asshole and uh, rubbing salt in the wound. That was not my. Uh... <laughs> No, it is true because, you know, elite prospects got it wrong once again. So sorry, Dave, they at least gave you the credit for it. They said you won the championship. So, uh, <laughs> so, so following your graduation from university, you obviously went on to sign your first pro contract with New Jersey Devils and started your first pro career with the Utica Devils in the jungle at the time, which was known as the AHL. So what was that transition like going from full face shields, no fighting, those collegiate rules to now suddenly you're playing with men trying to feed their families fighting's allowed that tougher game what was the transition like was it tough or was it not too bad of a transition for you oh no it was, you know the other thing is too i think during our era too it was a tremendous like you know when i walked in the locker room as a as a young pro right out right after it was right after the olympics so we went from right from albertville france signed my pro contract prior to the olympics being over um, but, you know, and or let's say disagreed to all the terms because you really couldn't sign because of the amateur status. But then literally right after the Olympics, got on a plane, headed right to Utica and uh, joined the team kind of mid, mid-season, right in the playoffs. And, um, but it was a big adjustment just because um, you kind of walk in a locker room with a lot of older guys, you, you know, in, in, in our era too. And I guess how we're brought up, but I just had a tremendous amount of respect for the older guys who so really went in there a little bit walking on eggshells, I would say. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because um, sometimes you play a little bit uh, nervous, scared, afraid to make a mistake. And um, and I knew I belonged. It was just that you never wanted to kind of, I guess, disrespect any of the veterans. So um, it certainly was a uh, not an easy transition. But then once you get on the ice and you start competing and you start playing and you realize, you know what, I can, I can play at this level and um, I'm as good as anybody in the world. And, and so then you just continue to build on that, your confidence. And, and hopefully, you know, again, like anything else, the ultimate goal is to 
is to be a big part of, our, of a playoff run and a championship run. Yeah, and so it didn't take long. I mean, the next year you continued to grind it out. You were having a great season your first freshman year, and then that second season doing great. You ended up getting called up and played a, a pair, your first pair of NHL games in the New Jersey Devils. Did you get the call? Did the trainer call you in and say, pack your bags, you're going to New Jersey? I mean, what was that moment? And then what was kind of your reaction? Were you like, holy shit, finally? Or were you like, yeah, it's about time I got my chance? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of both, I guess. You know, when you're when you're playing really well in the minors and you're, you know, you're always hoping for that phone call and you're, you know, that's what you work so hard for is to, you know, to obviously. And then the first call after, well, first of all, the first call after you get the call, I get, you know, I remember I got called in and the coach, like Herb, Herb Brooks was my coach. So Herb Brooks was my coach in Utica, my first year pro. And um, I remember him calling me up and he's like, listen, you know, uh, telling me I was getting called up to the, to the New Jersey Devils. And his first thing out of his mouth was, I hope I don't see you again because you belong there. And, uh, you've earned it. And so um, he's always a guy that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. And when I scored my first NHL goal, he was the first guy to write me a handwritten letter and congratulating me on that. So the only thing I will say, you know, is that I was, you know, the Devils at that time, it was a very difficult lineup to break because uh, Lou Amarillo, uh, for whatever reason, it was you know, unlike a lot of the other teams around the league, he was very into the veteran guys and having a veteran team. So um, I felt like I went up there and played extremely well, was hoping that I would stay, you know, stay there with the big club for a while. And then you know, end up, the guy gets hurt. You know, I'm on a two-way contract also, so contracts matter at the NHL level. Um, and back then, nobody got a one-way deal if you were, if you were a rookie. So, um, anyway, so that's, all of that comes into play when they're making certain decisions. So, there's always a level. One thing I would tell you, like, for me, it was a, it was eye-opening uh, to be a professional, make it to the NHL. And I had, I was so naive to the business side of sports. And my dad, and my dad didn't play at a pro level. Uh, my dad was a plumber and, uh, and my grandfather started the plumbing business. So didn't have that mentorship to understand what it was like at the pro level. Uh, but there is a huge business side to, to all professional sports. And I think I will tell you, that was probably one of the biggest adjustments for me throughout my career is recognizing I would have played for free. I mean, I was, all I wanted to do was play hockey, play it at the highest level, be the best in my craft. Um, and there's just a lot of other things that come into play when they're making decisions, whether it's, you know, for you to be, stay up with a big club or end up getting sent down to the minors. Yeah, and so what, what was that? Do you have any special stories from that, maybe that first moment you walk into the locker room? I mean, there had to be that moment, whether it's, you know, I don't even know if you guys had those rookie solo lap skates back then, but was there a moment where you looked around and you were like, yeah, I finally made it. I mean, I've, I've lived my dream and I want to continue doing this. Was there a moment at all like that? Yeah, I mean, I think the first minute you walk in the locker room, again, I'm in the, you're in the presence of greatness. You know, we had Scott Stevens was on the team at that time, Stefan Riche, you know, Johnny McLean, Kenny Danico. I mean, just a, a unbelievable amount of, again, guys that have been in the league for 12, 13, 14 years, all-stars. Then you suit up, you know, and you're playing against, uh, I mean, Billy Ranford, you're playing against, you know, again, we played against the Isle. I think my first goal uh, I'm trying to think who, who we played our first game against when I was, um, I don't even remember now who, who my first game was, but, uh, you know, again, and I also, you know, the opportunity to, to line up against Mario Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky and, and guys like that during that era, Ray Block at that time before I ended up being, you know, a teammate with Ray and um, just, I mean, I guess, you know, you kind of pinch yourself and again, at the end of the day, you still, you got to go out there. You don't want to be, you, you, you have tremendous respect 
that everybody, because you grew up watching these guys and, and just having, uh, you know, incredible, incredible honor. But at the end of the day, you also have to compete in, in uh, and make sure that you know you belong there so you can stay for the long haul. <laughs> and, you know, you mentioned, Dave, where that uh, roster was tough to break into. You're the two-way contract guy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, the next season, you're kind of bouncing back and forth because of the two-way deal, but you get something like 15 points in 15 games yeah. of playing with that. So how do you mentally stay with it that, I mean, I mean, those, I mean, a point of game, that's pretty hard to beat, but yet the business of hockey of a one-way guy is not going to go down. It's going to, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. How did you stay mentally prepared to, okay, I'm playing, I'm doing well, but yet I got to go down to Utica, do my thing. I'll get another call. How is that mentally uh, like to prepare for that? Because that that's rough. Because you're playing really well. Well, um, I'm glad you I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you said what you said because and that's pretty pretty awesome to kind of you know see how difficult that is. It was it was mentally draining because you know you feel like you're playing. And I, and I, you know, that run, that 15 points in 15 games, I was playing the best hockey of my life. I mean, um, I felt like I, and again, Jacques Lemaire was our coach and he was a coach that uh, honestly, like we had, a, we had, you know, we, you know, again, like every other professional, every other NHL team, when you go to practice this, you know, green, red, yellow, and black jerseys, and you're on a certain line and you kind of know first line maybe is wearing the red jerseys or the second line is wearing green. But so, you know, every practice, whatever, you know, there were times I was on the first line, times I was on the fourth line. Uh, but when Jock, when there was a coach, you went into the game and, and he would always play the guys that were going that night. So you could start off on the fourth line. And if my legs were going and he saw that I was just ready to play and prepared, all of a sudden I went from playing fourth line to first line like that or first power play. And that's, that's why I had the run I had because every time, I mean, I was a guy that was prepared every night. That's one thing I took a lot of pride in. Um, I had, a, I had a process that I, that I really committed to from the time I was in college hockey. So it was just an incredible opportunity to know, okay, if I show up at the rink and I'm going, I'm going to have an opportunity to play with the Billy Garen, the Stefan Riches. Um, and that's really, and then, you know, I, I obviously proved that I could play and I was super disappointed when I got sent down. Alexander C-Mac was hurt. Um, and then he, he was on a big contract. Jacques kept telling me, you know, they were trying to make some moves to keep me there and, um, but I knew there was a business side of it. I made, you know, then I did have an injury. I, I, I had a high ankle sprain um, that, that put me out for a couple of weeks. And I'll be honest, I probably should have not came. I was so worried about my job that I probably came back from that injury a little too quick. I should have, you know, and I don't know that I was 100% right when I came back. But, you know, I came back and it was like one game and, uh, and then they sent me down to the minors. So it is mentally tough. It, I'm not going to lie. It's super difficult. Um, because you, you know, you kind of feel like, okay, this is, this is what you worked for and you've proven. And I was just, I don't think it was, you know, being totally honest. I know I, that's where I tell you about the business side was the most difficult thing in my career to accept that there was that side of it, because I know from a hockey standpoint, there's no reason that, uh, that I didn't stay with the big team and, and continue to be with the devils for a, a pretty long time.
Yeah, and so kind of a two-part question here, Dave. So um, I couldn't find too much information of how you ended up getting uh, snatched up by the Boston Bruins. So kind of what was the story on that? Did you get traded, signed free agency? And then the second part of the question is when you finally signed with the Bruins organization, did, was it a sigh of relief, kind of a, you know, a fresh of breath air? Because, you know, like you were just kind of describing, you're playing the best, you know, hockey of your life. And while it's a business, you know, you can make the argument you probably deserved a roster spot maybe over some veterans or whatever the argument may be. But was it also a fresh start? What was kind of going through your mind with all that, too? Well, um, I'll share the story with you guys. Seeing, seeing I'm on it now, I can, I can be honest about how it all went down. But so when I was going through that, you know, really good run uh, with the Devils and playing extremely well. So I was, um, there was a, there's a, you know, again, at that time I was four years, four years in the league. I had signed a, you know, a new contract. I had to be, in order for me to go to the minors, I had to agree to go because I, otherwise I would have been on waivers. So I went to the minors um, a couple different times and on an, in an agreement, you know, Lou was like, I'm going to send you down. So I went down, came right back up like a day later went down again, came back up. And then what happened in my third year or my, uh, I had signed a new contract, signed a three-year deal. It was uh, basically in that, in that second year that I asked my agent I, and I had a meeting with Jacques Lemaire and I said, Jacques, you know, I'm playing the best hockey of my life. I need your advice. And he said, David, listen, I've told Lou that there's no, that you belong in the NHL and um, there's no question in my mind that you belong here but we're going to have to make some moves. So I asked my agent, what do I do? And he said, you know, ask Lou to put you on waivers so you can get an opportunity to get a look from every other team in the league. So I did. I went to Lou and I said, Lou, I'd like to be put on waivers. I've been here for almost five years and obviously feel like I deserve the opportunity to be in the NHL. And if it's not here, hopefully it's somewhere else. And he looked at me and said, I'll never put you on waivers. I'm never going to have you come back to hurt, hurt me in the playoffs. So <laughs> I decided... To, so I asked my agent, what do I do now? And he's like, don't worry, just, you know, hold out a little bit. He'll, he'll do the right thing. So I held out and that was pretty much what put in it kind of, I will tell you, really, really hurt my career because Lou, Lou held it against me. He wouldn't allow me to be at the rink. He suspended me. Uh, it was a bit of a nightmare. And then I, that's how I ended up with the Vipers. So Lou loaned me out to the Vipers that next year. Wouldn't even let me go to training camp all because I wanted to just play hockey and, you know, get an opportunity to be with any other team around the league. Um, I ended up getting, he loans me to the Vipers and that's when I went on to play with the Vipers that year. And then I was a free agent after the Viper year to end up signing with the Boston Bruins. Now, I've got to ask you, I know I've, I, I told you I wanted you to uh, respond to the Detroit Vipers. The IHL, I mean, what a crazy league when you look at it, at least from a fan's perspective. I don't know from a player's perspective. But what was it like, especially the Detroit Vipers? It's supposed to be reputation of, you know, crazy, tough, Iron League hockey team. Yeah. Well, we had a crazy, tough, Iron League hockey team, I'll tell you that, in Detroit. We had a crazy, tough coach in Rick Dudley. So uh, I loved Rick Dudley. I loved the style, the culture that we had there. Um, the IHL was a, was a great league. That was my friend. Again, I was in the American Hockey League um, for the first, whatever, five years or so. And then I get loaned out because, you know, because Lou ships me off. Uh, and I end up in Detroit, which was turned out to be probably arguably one of my best years of my career. You know, I end up, I think I scored close to 40 goals that year. Duds and I got along amazing. I played a ton of minutes. Another, and again, got an opportunity to, to, to play with some great players and, 
uh, play on a great team, and uh, we had an we had a great run. Um, so you know, the IHL is exactly what you what you what you you know you remember it to be. You know, I, I also you know there were a lot of like a lot of like Pavanka played there um, when he was there was a lockout in the NHL or a whole. I think you know he was on a contract holdout actually. Him, Mike Pavanka, he came and played with us. I played with Gordy Howell that year. Gordy Howell came back for one game, so he could say that he played in three eras, three decades. <laughs> so he suited up. I actually suited up next to Gordy Howell at, uh, in, at uh, um, what's the name of the rink there? The uh, Auburn Hills, the Palace. So that was an that was an incredible experience. So, you know, obviously lined up alongside Gordy Howell at one one shift. Um, just a lot of great memories from my years in Detroit. And I'll say one thing too, the, it was probably the coldest winter of my life to be in Detroit that year. God, it was like freezing cold. But my wife and I, like, again, just had a really, we flew on a private jet. Um, we got treated pretty well. I, we got treated incredible with the Detroit Vipers. And we had our own plane. And uh, it was it was better than any, better than most of the NHL teams at that time. Yeah, and, and that's the story we've we've heard from guys that have played in the IHL around that time, that it was a mixture of, Extreme toughness, but also like uh, a lot of veteran NHL players that were actually getting paid more in the IHL than the NHL. So it was almost like the old WHA in a way of as far as being paid. It's like you go where you get the best contract. Um, Let me ask you this. So, well, I got to ask the Gordy House. So when he walks in the locker room, of course, you guys are welcoming. You're sitting next to him. Does he say anything or is it just like, you know, hey, boys, hey, you know, I got to do this game. I'm appreciative. Or was he into it? Was he ever the competitive? Like, we better win. What line am I on? No, I would say it was more. I mean, he was incredibly nice. I mean, you know, he was like, you know, like every other hockey player ever come along, you know, I mean, he'd come in the locker room and he was just one of the guys, one of the boys. And, you know, we're all we're all in awe, of course. How can you not be in awe of Gordy Hall, right? So. We're all in there, I think, you know, kind of pinching ourselves saying, is this really happening? And so we get a chance to, you know, talk to him behind the scenes and ask questions and take pitches with him and, um, and all that. And, and then, he, you know, we knew, we knew what was, you know, kind of the, uh, I guess, the purpose of, of him suiting up that game or really just suiting up for that one shift. But he did, uh, he, he was incredibly welcoming and uh, just, a, a, just an incredible honor to just be in his presence, even if it was for, you know, a handful of hours, but uh, what an experience. Was there ever a crazy story or anything that you remember from those IHL days? Just anything that was just, I mean, crazy. There's got to be. Andrew loves the stories. Andrew loves the stories. <laughs> Especially the old school stuff. You know, I'm 25, so it's like, I, I, I got to get some good stories here. Well, I don't know what stories you want to have, but I mean, uh, I mean, you're, you know, probably your typical, I mean, the IHL, like I said, we, you know, we had a very tough team, you know, so uh, we had some, like, like, like most teams in the IHL, you know, back in our era, there was always, whether it was in the NHL or was at the IHL or even the American Hockey League, you know, different than today, there was always at least three, four really tough guys on your team, you know, and so there were a lot of nights where, whether we had, you know, line, line brawls or like fights, it just depend on how the game was going and the momentum. We, we always knew when certain guys, uh, you know, certain guys were on the ice that we knew there was a potential for, for uh, an all-out brawl. So that happened more often than you think, but it was still an incredible league. Like you said, there was just 
talent all over the place. Uh, it was a combination of talent and, and toughness on every team. And that's the one thing that was pretty awesome about the IHL. Uh, like I said, every night, every night it was, it was incredibly competitively and hard nosed. And you always knew you were, you always knew you were a hockey player when you played in the IHL. So Dave, you, um, you go overseas and you play a, a few seasons over there. Ac according to the stats, it says you won a championship. I don't want to put my foot in my mouth. Did that uh, happen? That's, that's <laughs> a true stat. That is a true stat. Okay. So, um, and, and again, um, we as fans, but having uh, former players on, we're starting to get uh, a little sense of the business side of hockey. And it seems like all the players we talk to that have, have played in the NHL like yourself have to make that decision. Was it the Europe? Was it more for money? Was it more playing? Usually uh, the guys we talk to, it's, it's more of both. It's more ice time, but it's also uh, more money. They got a family to feed, et cetera, et cetera. What kind of led to you to want to yeah. go overseas at that time? Well, I'll tell you, again, a lot of it had to do. So I, I signed with after Detroit and I'll kind of bring you back a little bit. So I played with the Vipers, come off a really, really, really good year. Love Rick Dudley. But again, in the back of my mind, I just kept feeling like I had something. I wanted to be in the National Hockey League. You know, like that was, and maybe it was the wrong thinking because, and that, you know, I, I wish now that I, looking back, or even my wife told me at the time, like, you're crazy, sign with the Vipers. Rick loves you, the Dudley, you know, and you'll have another great year and a great opportunity. So I'm a free agent. I end up, the I, I obviously meet with Harry Sinden and the Bruins and, uh, Bob O'Connell and Steve Castle was the coach of the Bruins that year. And they tell me that I'm going to have an incredible opportunity to be with the Bruins, uh, be with the big club. So I decide not to go to Europe at all. I decide to sign. And I don't sign with the Vipers. Um, I sign with the Boston Bruins again, trying to chase my, my dream to be in the NHL on a regular basis. I go to the Bruins. I have an incredible training camp. I lead the team in scoring. I'm playing with Cam Neely, Adam Oates, um, and then the season starts and my wife told me that this potentially was going to happen. She said, you're nuts. Don't side with the Bruins because you're going to end up being a guy that they'll probably send to the miners in Providence because you're a Rhode Island guy. They're going to want to, you know, put you there for tickets and all the other things. I said, no, that's not going to happen. I've had great meetings with them. Anyway, I, I start the year. I, I don't play many minutes. The first seven games, I play probably four minutes and seven, you know, each game. So I get sent down to the minors and uh, right away again, what the first thing in my mind is like, I just, you know, I can't do this again. I can't be, I'm stuck in the business. I'm playing, doing everything I can to control my destiny, but yet I have no control over my destiny. So that was a super difficult year for me. You mentioned earlier in our conversation about the mental uh, drain. And so I did, it was like the first time in my life that I actually wasn't enjoying hockey. Um, so that's what made me go to Europe. So that I finished out the year with the Bruins, um, and I was ready. I almost, I almost quit. I'm going to be honest with you. I almost quit hockey Christmas, Christmas of that year. Um, and my wife said to me, you're crazy. You've never quit anything in your life. Like, let's just finish out the year. So I do finish out the year. I get this amazing opportunity to go to, to go to Austria. They, they offer me a great contract. Um, so I, I wanted to just love hockey again, to be honest with you. And that's why I ended up going to Europe. So I signed there for a combination to try to love the game again, to go there um, and just be, be day 
game and I'm the hockey player that I knew that I could play at a high level again. And then also financially, it was the right thing to do for my family as well. So we go over there and it ended up being just an incredible three years. Um, go out there and win a championship. Obviously have a lot of success on the ice. Um, so I don't, you know, that was, and then I ended up coming back and ne the next year I, I ended up signing with the Florida Panthers and, um, and have a really good year with, with Florida that year. So, yeah. So do you think, so do you think the new NHL is trending in, in a more positive way as far as giving those players that deserve a chance, a chance, just like you were kind of describing with, uh, Lou in, in New Jersey where he wanted a full veteran team. And I know a lot of coaches and GMs were like that. They preferred those guys. But then you start seeing, just as an example, because we're Bruins fans, David Backus being benched. And you see all these well-known veterans that at the time probably would have always had a spot as long as they were playing. But now it seems like they're they're making the young kids have the jump. And it seems like they're getting more opportunities based on their hard work, which is just, you know, from us sitting on the couch assuming this. But what's kind of your opinion on that? Do you think it is changing or do you think – you know, just it all just depends on the club. No, I, I do think I think it is changing. I mean, look at you look at the guys, the guys that come out of college hockey right now that are that are you know sort of let's say just say the top players in college hockey, especially you got to win the Hobie or I mean those guys are automatically directly going to the National Hockey League. Like they're not spending any time in the minors. You know, um, a lot has to do with contracts now. I mean, now there's pretty much you know the contracts to the money in in the NHL now is. Uh, obviously incredibly uh, enhanced since I played. So you've got the contracts that are much bigger. You're going to, they're investing a lot more dollars uh, in, in the players themselves. So it's kind of, again, that's the business side of it. If I'm going to give a player a million dollar signing bonus or have kind of committed a million dollars to that guy, you're going to, you know, he's going to get every opportunity to compete at that level. So I think, and I also think the game has changed. I mean, I think the game is built for the, for the kind of the David Emmons of the world now, you know, like, um, back in back in our era, it was tough sledding. I mean, you know, the, you know how physical the game was, the clutching, the grabbing. Um, now the game is built for guys that have high skill level, uh, obviously speed, quickness, uh, agility. You know, just just pure talent. Uh, even defensemen now. I mean, if you're you know look at you see around the league today, there's there's still a lot of toughness in the league, but it's you know the the, the guys that that again, you would kind of consider your tough guys. Those guys can play hockey. There's not, they're not there just to drop their gloves. Those guys can, they can, they can play on the first line. They can play on a fourth line, but they're there. Uh, they're there because they can play and they have a high level of skill. So I, I think there's a combination of things that have really opened the league up for, for guys that are, that are my size, my style of play. And that's why you, I think you see a lot more, you know, again, smaller guys having incredible careers in the National Hockey League right now really over the last probably 15, 16 years. So uh, let me ask you this a little bit about the business side of, of hockey, because you played at a very interesting time. Jump in in the 90s, you get in even to the 2000s you're playing. And when we were talking with uh, Theo Flory a few weeks ago, he had mentioned when he signed his first contract with Calgary. And, and, and I don't want to, uh, Dave, we're not asking for numbers or anything like that, but he said, he said, oh, I broke into the league. You know, I was making $90,000 in my first contract. Yeah. Brett Hall comes out like a few years later. Brett Hall, I guess, was the guy that said, oh, I'm making $1.25 And everybody was like, are you shitting me? And then, like, everything, according to Theo, changed after everybody found out that, you know, some of these players were starting to make such a big difference. 
And now you're kind of thrown in the, in the middle of there in the 90s, early 2000s. You're a two-way player. A lot of guys are making money. A lot of guys aren't making enough money. It yeah. seemed like a big shock to the, you know, Harry Sinden world of the GM. And I bring him up only because, you know, he's supposed to be such a cheap negotiator. But uh, I bring that up to say, I mean, that's a big change from 90000 for, a, you know, a guy playing in the NHL to all of a sudden it could be anything. And now you got league minimums of a half a mil. So yeah. it, it, it was an interesting time. Um, what was, uh, I mean, do you remember hearing about, some, I mean, did it really ch- change dramatically or with you, it was, you know, Hey, you had to negotiate that two-way deal, I, you know? Yeah, no, it, it, it did change. I mean, I, I think, and I think this is a stat that I remember, and I think it was, it's pretty accurate. I know when I came in the league, I'm pretty sure from all the players meetings and things like that, the average salary in the league at that time was like $150,000. When I left the league, in 2001, the average salary is 1.7 million. So, and now it's far bigger than that now. But so at the time, I mean, you know, again, I mean, Theo's right. I mean, you know, you know, first round money at that time was like $150,000 signing bonus. You know, now, and, and here, I'll give you, you know, here's an example of timing. So I went to Hobie in 91. Um, and this is kind of a funny story, but I went to Hobie in 91. I remember getting a call from Upper Deck or my agent called me and says, hey, Upper Deck wants to make a card, a card or do a hockey card. And I was like, a hockey card? Really? I thought I died and went to heaven. They're like, they want to pay you. And I still have the contract. They paid, they signed, I signed a contract with Upper Deck for $100. $100, okay? So, and I'm, they sent me thousands and thousands of cards to sign, right? I, I mean, I'm telling you, like thousands, right? My arm was falling off for $100. <laughs> I thought, and I thought I died and went to heaven. And the next year, Scott Pellerin wins the Hobie, and I think he gets five grand. Okay, just one year later, gets five grand. The next year, I think it was Marin, if I remember correctly, from uh, I think it was Minnesota, Michigan, Marinox, who won it. I want to say he got like 25000 So, literally, in two years' time, the contract with Upper Deck for, for the Hobie Baker card went from $100 that I got to like 25 grand. Right. So, and, and now, you know, now who knows what, what, what they're getting, but I can tell you it's, it's a substantial amount of money. And so it is, you know, you know what, the, the thing that changed the, the economics and hockey at, at least, and I think it's continually changed thanks to him is Eric Lindros. Eric Lindros during, you know, when he held out with Quebec and, and wouldn't, wouldn't sign with Quebec. Um, that was a big deal. Cause I remember the lockout in 94, 95, and it was hard for me because I was on my first one-way contract in 1994-95. And then we have a lockout. So I'm like, to my wife, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm finally going to, you know, make some, and you know, really good, decent money. And then I lose half my contract for the lockout. So a lot of, a lot of you know, just timing's everything, you know, and things happen. But I will tell you this. I don't regret one day because all that adversity that I experienced throughout my NHL career – is what allowed me to be where I am today in my personal life and where I am business-wise and, uh, I, you know, and fighting, you know, all that. So, I, you know, for me, yes, I wish that my NHL career, I wish I was drafted by a, or, or given a better opportunity. I wish Lou was a little bit uh, – I think he, he, he – I don't really love the way Lou handled my situation at all. I think it was pretty selfish on his part. Um, but on the other hand, and I know if I had been given an opportunity to go with another team that my, that I would have 
really, really prospered in the NHL and had to go on to have many, many, many games in the NHL. But on the other, but you know, hey, listen, life, life isn't always fair and things happen. So I just say that all that adversity, you know, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. And it definitely made me stronger and it's really been a huge benefit to my professional career now. Yeah, and so you spent four years in Austria, and and I would assume at some point, you know, you're probably like, I don't know if I'm going to make it back to the NHL or even have that opportunity again. But obviously, as you had mentioned just previously, after those four years, you ended up signing with the Florida Panthers organization. Although you grind down the AHL, you did play um, a good handful of games in the NHL again. So, what was kind of the mental process and that grind of playing those years in Austria, maybe having those doubts, but then getting that opportunity again, I mean, that at least had to feel good even to at least cap off, you know, your, your professional career. Yeah. I mean, listen, when I went back, I told you, I was in a pretty, pretty dark place when I went out, when I started, went back to Austria. And I was, when I say a dark place, um, I just mean, I, I didn't love the game. I, I mean, it was a struggle that summer to even like go to the rink and really struggle. But then when I signed that contract in, in Austria, um, I was all, I was all in and I was committed. So, um, and it, for me, a lot of guys at that time, you go to Europe because you think you're ending your career. I was going to Europe to restart my career. I wasn't going to end my career. So I went out to Austria. I worked unbelievably hard that summer, ended up leading the league and scoring for three years straight, sort of felt, felt like myself again, playing at a high level. And then the Panthers called and um, actually NASCAR wanted to sign me the year before. And I decided I didn't want to sign a two-way deal I was like, if they give me a one-way deal, I'll do it. Uh, I'm not sure if they're, again, good or bad or whatever, but um, I ended up going back to Austria. We win a championship. I signed with the Panthers that summer. Love Brian Murray. Love Terry Murray. And, again, I got, you know, and then I got called up to Florida. Um, again, I was having a really good career. Uh, I was in Louisville at the time for, for a bit, and then I got called up. And then I, I was playing great with the Panthers. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't – Brian Murray called me in his office and said, David, I don't want to send you down. Like, you belong here. Like, he, his exact words were, this is – and he was the first GM to ever look me in the eye and say to me, the only reason you're going to the minors is this is the business, and it's contractual. You're on a two-way. These other guys are on a one-way. I can't move a certain player. Uh, I, this is the worst thing I have to do, but I'm not going to – you've been in the league long enough. I'm not lying. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. And I actually – I just had accepted for what it was. I went down to the minors. I ended up finishing out a great career uh, in the minors there. And then I had an injury uh, after I got, after I got traded, I had a pretty bad in the playoffs. I had a, a back injury and I ended up having surgery and all this stuff in the off season. I tried to come back and play again. I, I actually signed a three-year contract to go to Germany to go back to Europe and really uh, continue on with my career. But in my back just my back let out it wasn't and I ended up having surgery and I decided at that time you know what it's been 10 and a half years um and it's time to put my brain to work and use my education and that's what I did and I ended up having surgery retiring in 2001 and starting my career in uh in wealth management and, and it's been an incredible run since so and you've get recognized and and uh, I know it's a big deal uh, because we've talked to some others that are in the class and what a what a great class when you look at uh, the Rhode Island Hockey Hall of Fame all the guys that have been inducted and you're a class of 2019 I believe so not that long ago so what a great recognition to be part of those group of players uh, when you look at all these names 
Yeah. When, when, what was your experience when you got the call and what do you feel about being recognized? I know you're in Florida, but your old home state, I mean, what a hell of a career. It must've been a, 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 just a great honor. It really was, you know, again, it's, it's, you know, kind of funny how life goes full cycle, but, um, you know, look at Rhode Island is where I owe everything to my life and my career to Rhode Island. I mean, it's where I began my career, where I started skating at three and a half years old. Uh, there's so many people to thank for giving me the opportunity, believing in me uh, from the time I was a young kid. So to have that opportunity, you know, when I got the call about being in it, and I, and I said this during my Hall of Fame speech, um, I don't think there's anything that I've been more proud of or more, uh, more a greater honor than to be inducted into the Rhode Island Hockey Hall of Fame. And there's so much tradition in Rhode Island. Uh, with hockey, you know, you go back to the, the old Rhode Island Red, you know, the old Rhode Island Reds, right? I actually just played golf with Eddie Westfall yesterday, and Eddie and I were telling stories. He's still part of the Rhode Island Reds, so wow. that is that's the kind of tradition that exists in Rhode Island um, to this day. So to be part of the Hall of Fame, to be recognized with, you know, being guys like you know Brian Boucher, who him and I are super close, Keith Corning, these are guys that have been friends and clients of mine now for years. I I work with a lot of professional athletes in my new career. Um, so I'm still involved in hockey in a, in a, in a different capacity, but um, it's just an incredible honor to be even thought about on the same voice as, as some of the Brian, the Brian Longs of the world. Just, you know, Chris Terreri, there's just so many, the Bennett family, there's just so many great, great players that have come out of Rhode Island to go on to have great careers. And um, again, I'm blessed to have had that opportunity. So we're going to finish um, our time together with uh, what we call lightning round. So whatever comes to your mind, it could be just a, a name. It could be a location or you could have a small story, but we're going to hit you with these questions. Ready? Oh boy. Here we go. Here we go. From, from Boston College throughout the rest of your career, toughest goalie to score against? Toughest? Uh, Patrick Walker. Which arena could be from Boston College on or even in Austria? Which arena had the worst locker rooms? Mount St. Charles in high school. Now, when I, when I look at that, because uh, 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 Capuano sends me uh, pictures of old uh, Coach Bill, right? And uh, it, it almost looked like uh, they had like chicken wire on a plexiglass. Exactly. It was all chicken wire. It didn't have glass then. Wow. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see. Was a, and I think Bill, too, by, on purpose, too. I don't even think he ever put the heat on. So you were like, <laughs> in this dungeon, no heat. He always did it on purpose, you know? <laughs> uh, let's see. Worst ice conditions, any arena? Oh, the worst ice conditions. Uh, God, it, was, it, it had to be, you know, let's see, I mean, the, the worst ice condition. I'm trying to think now. Uh, whenever when we, I would say later in my career, when we went down south to like Tampa. That with Tampa, Tampa before before the new arena, Amelia Arena now, where we played in the uh, baseball stadium. That was the worst ice I've ever skated on. Yeah. Which player had the innate ability to get under your skin? Who was the rat in your career? Actually, it's uh, I'm trying to think of his name. He was with the he's played with the Rangers for after me for years, um, but I can't think of it offhand now. But uh, it might come to me, so um, I have to dodge that because I can't think of his name. 
Funniest or most embarrassing thing to happen to you during a game or warm up? Funniest thing, most embarrassing thing to happen to you during a game or warm up? You guys have a tough question today. Uh, well, I'll tell you one thing that was embarrassing when I kind of shot a puck and it bounced back off the post and hit me in the face, and I had to go in for like 26ers. <laughs> yeah yeah no we when we ask the players man we've gotten all sorts of responses that have been like pretty bizarre pretty crazy uh we won't share with it because we're going to run overtime but uh it, it's a great question to ask pro players because you like you say you don't expect it and some of the things we hear is pretty crazy andrew you the next one so who was the toughest player you had to play against and i'm not I, i'm not talking about fighting wise or anything but anytime you're on the ice who took up space who didn't let you near the net i mean who was that player that was just tough to play against oh uh, well, i'll take one of you was tough to play against uh um without a doubt he, you know uh trying to think some of the other guys that, that i would tell you that uh that was very difficult. Um, Tony Twist, incredibly difficult to play against. Oh, he was yeah. Beast out there. Uh, Bob Probert was, he was scared to death. I remember, I, I remember Bob Probert actually, I, I, I kind of probably a stupid thing on my part, but I would play against Detroit and I laid him out one time, not realizing what I did because I was just, you know, and he chased me around the, the rank the rest of the game and I was scared to death. I've never been so scared in my life because he just wanted to rip my head off. So <laughs> uh all right, last one. Favorite hockey memory in your career. And I know it's, you might not have one, but just try to give us one of them. The Olympics opening ceremony. Awesome. So what do you what do you what was so special about that? Was it a particular moment or just the entire experience of being in that whole opening ceremony the uh when we walked into opening ceremonies and the flag you know the, the flag waving and you know us you know kind of representing the united states perfect perfect man dave we'll say goodbye off air but man what a great interview here we can't thank you enough for joining us for fans and a father and some team like us of kind of i consider myself old school hockey and he's new school hockey uh, we can't thank you enough. We, I know we've been trying to hound you a little bit to get you on, and I'm glad we did. <laughs> yeah, good times. Um, I'll, I'll, if you guys have time, I'd love to do it again. So always welcome. I really appreciate you guys, including me, and I wish you all the best with the podcast. So Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Thank you so much. Okay, Andrew, Dave Emma, great guy, great stories. Yep, another former Bruin. Always fun to have those guys on here. And, of course, you know, another Rhode Island boy, as everybody knows. You know, our good uh, friend and guest, Dave Capione, always comes on the show. So it's always good to have those guys on, man. Some good talent coming from the island. Yeah, you know, and, uh, you know, you bring up, um, uh, you know, you bring up the Mount. You bring up, uh, you know, uh, Capuano boys. And, uh, you know, he certainly uh, respects them. But, uh uh, didn't really act like the, he was uh, too friendly with uh, Capilano's. You know, I'm sure they they met each other in BC and uh, in University of Maine a few times, and who knows, maybe they ran into each other in the uh, AHL or NHL. But uh, uh, we'll we'll have to ask Dave uh, Capuano about that. Yeah, and, uh, see what he says there. Maybe we can get uh, both of them on and uh, have a good old Rhode Island 
rivalry. Yeah, have a double Dave, double Rhode Island boy episode. That'd be fun. So, hey, we appreciate yeah, everybody we tuning in today, and uh, we hope everybody has a great rest of the week. All right, have a good week.